Father Blake, if you would like to lead us in a little prayer beforehand. Most certainly. Let us begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to gather as brothers and also for all the listeners, that they may be inspired, that they may be filled with laughter, with joy, enthusiasm for life through this wonderful podcast, and that it may help us all to grow in a deeper love for the gift of imagination, for the gift of creativity, and to use it always to glorify and reflect your mercy, your wisdom, and your love in this world. Bless this time that we'll have together, that it may be guided by your spirit. And we ask this all in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hark the bardic paladin who sings and plays again. He tells the tales of glory and weaves a magic story. He'll join you at your table and ask you to share a fable. Heroes of humble origin, villains who must be fought again. No matter their skill or prowess, the people in life are countless. So we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 72 Pathos Anthropoi, the Zotani Nimi. Welcome to Sidekicks and Side Quests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelgi, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Father Blake Britton's table and the Levitating Platter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial Dungeons & Dragons podcast, in my humbly biased opinion. I've got a wonderful guest for you lined up, and of course, I always like to leave everyone in suspense while I do these ad reads for these different sections. So this first ad read that I have to bring to you is from Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda, former guest of the show, is um, the mastermind behind this mastercraft of beard balms, game design, and community building. He's got a beard balm named after the basic stats from Dungeons and Dragons, so get a can, apply it to your face, and smell the sweet aroma and the sweet victory that comes along with increased strength, dexterity, charisma, and more. Beards and Beyond is the indie RPG that helped to launch this brand, uh, but Tony's collaborated on several other projects, including Repugnant with Terrible Games, iToaster, which is a brave little toaster-inspired tabletop RPG, and Down We Go, a game which seeks to capture the heart of old-school tabletop gaming. If you support Plus One EXP, either by buying something uh, from their store, supporting them on Patreon and the like, it all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. So I would highly encourage you to go follow Tony and Plus One EXP and all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, in order to keep up with all the various projects he's working on, as well as the upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of some of these amazing indie RPGs. So if you don't mind, please go to plusoneexp.com, use my affiliate code Randolph, when you're buying a beard balm or a beard RPG in order to get some savings 
on your purchase at no extra cost to you. Again, that code is Randolph, like in episode two. At checkout on the website, plus1exp.com. Well, I am two for two on real-life clerics on this podcast, so would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself to our lovely audience? Most certainly. My name is Father Blake Britton. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Orlando, as well as a contributor to Bishop Barron's Word on Fire Institute and Word on Fire organization. I'm a very happy contributor and uh, associate with that outstanding apostolate and mission. And I also serve four parishes in the Diocese of Orlando, three schools. I work as the Assistant Vocations Director. I'm an author and a theologian as well. Uh, I currently publish a book called Reclaiming Vatican II, which you can find through Word on Fire, Avramir Press, and there are several more in the works as well, thank God. Uh, I'm also one of the co-hosts of the God and Gaming YouTube mini-series put out by the Word on Fire Institute. It was a wonderful program. If you have not seen it yet, I strongly encourage you to do so. I had a blast doing that with Bob Angel and the rest of the members. The Word on Fire Institute had some amazing guests from creators of Halo, going to video game soundtrack composers and et cetera. Uh, and I'm just super excited to be here. I love using my imagination and creativity. I'm most certainly a mega nerd in every way, shape and form and very proud of it. It's been part of me since I was a little boy. I'm starting with my absolute addiction to Batman, which has continued to adulthood, but also uh, just my fascination with just imagination and creativity as a whole, especially in the video game and movie industry. So I'm very excited to be here and to, like I was sharing with you beforehand, uh, to actually have an opportunity not to do a super serious interview, so to speak, but just mm. to have fun and with a fellow millennial and Gen Zer, <laughs> yeah, and to be able just to sort of let loose and and enjoy this, enjoy this time in creativity. So super excited to be here. Awesome. I was gonna say, is there anything else that you could possibly be doing? Because that's a pretty lengthy, uh, just uh, oh, let, yes, let me read off all the different things that I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I I go with the motto of Saint John Paul II. He said, Lord, if I am a candle. Let me burn at both ends until I become only a flame for your glory. So uh, I follow the same motto. I'm like, is there more I could be doing? Uh, now, I don't know physically if it's possible, <laughs> but I'll take whatever the Lord gives me and be happy with it. I know when we had Father Tom Bombadil on the show, you know, he got to talk to us about what it was like to be a priest in real life. And so for the percentage of my audience, however small or large it is, can you kind of speak to that? Maybe do you echo some of the same sentiments that Father Tom Bombadil shared on the show about what it's like to be a real life cleric, not just like, oh, yes, I only live at the church and I, you know, I only pop up on, on Saturdays and Sundays. And that's the only time you'll see me. Right. I emerge from my cave simply to celebrate the sacraments, then crawl back in. Uh, yes, I, I echo a lot of the things that Father Tom Bombadil shared. Uh, he was a wonderful guest and a very good priest, I could tell by listening to him. And he has a wonderful priestly heart. But for myself, it's an incredible life. It's an incredible life. And actually, a lot of my experience in the priesthood, you'll see, has influenced my, my own character, my NPC character and my side quest character, uh, because the priesthood is one of the most ancient and magnificent vocations in world history. And specifically, priesthood has to do with the preservation of, of living memory, the preservation of, of an event, and not an event of the past, but an event that is in our midst, that is the resurrection of Christ, an event that continues to be present to the world vis-a-vis -vis the sacramental life of the church. So to be a, a living historian, if you will, or the embodiment of history is, is the duty of priesthood and that specific history of Christ. It, and so it's a fascinating task to be one who has to safeguard tradition, 
as well as continue progressing it in the years to come and, and maintain it for future generations, uh, especially the greatest tradition of all, which is the salvation of Jesus. It really is an amazing, amazing uh, grace-filled life that I could not be more happy with. You were sharing in the beginning, you know, you just had this YouTube show where you dove in with uh, Bobby Angel on God and Gaming. So you got to explore faith in video games, which is also something you've done in some of your writing as well. You know, now that you've been exploring this previously as a fellow millennial growing up with video games and the like, and now you're a priest and then you get to do, you know, all this writing and all this, uh, you know, YouTube programming uh, as far as covering the topic, you know, now that you're settled in it. I guess my question that I'm trying to think of is like, how do you feel like clerics and paladins and holy warriors, if you like, are portrayed in video games? And then by that extension, the grandfather of video games, which would be like D&D and tabletop gaming and stuff like that. That's a fascinating and actually quite encouraging question, because I have found that not only video game culture, but also even in anime, for example, if you go to a show like Grand Fate Order, that priesthood is typically portrayed in popular culture insofar as gaming and anime culture very positively. Now you'll have your off-color corrupt cleric, which is very typical of stories and, and much more so of Hollywood. But I have been really built up at the overall understanding of clergy in video game culture as well as D&D culture, you know, board games, etc. Because they really do get it. Even if you go to the official definition of a cleric in D&D, it's a representative of a divine person who taps in divine magic and has a mission, has a mission to go out into the world and to sort of, they don't use this word in the D&D, you know, fifth edition, but to sort of evangelize, if you will, or to spread their message while also helping their companions along the way. Uh, it's so you even see that again in anime culture. It's really amazing how they get it. They get the, the representation and the personage of clergy, if you will. And that's something that I think is very important for us to understand, especially with interacting in millennial and Gen Z culture, that we're already predisposed for the truth of the divine in the clerical life. It's just that we have no one really to articulate it to us in the way that we appreciate, which is most certainly one of those ways is through video games and D&D &D and anime. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I began this whole initiative with Word on Fire on uh, God and gaming is that there is really no one in that arena who was speaking about the culture from that angle. So of course, it's one of the most popular industries in the entire world, but there was no one approaching it from that specific intention with that perspective. And thankfully, the response has been overwhelmingly positive in that regards. Speaking of video games and the like, do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, I know there are video game versions of D&D &D and stuff like that, but have you actually physically sat around a table with a group of other players and played a game before? So I have an inkling memory of doing it in high school, but in my adult life, I never really have. Now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't. I would absolutely love to. <laughs> uh, uh, but for me, especially as a priest, one of the difficulties is finding fellows to play with as well as finding time to play it. Uh, but I, so I definitely have had exposure to d and I have many friends who play D&D. &D, and so I'm acquainted with, uh, with again, the culture and, and the background of it. And I find it absolutely, uh, really genius and incredibly supportive of, of creativity. Now, when it comes to video games, that's a whole nother story. I am. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely acquainted and actively a gamer in many many ways my favorite type of game is rpg of course if you talk about rpgs you have to go to something like skyrim which is probably the quintessential uh, rpg and there are many others i like dragon's dogma is a huge one uh, one of my favorite side quests actually ever in video games is from dragon's dogma 
uh, in uh, Kingdom Hearts. I love Kingdom Hearts, all the series. Diablo, of course, one of the mm-hmm. greatest RPGs ever made. So uh, yeah, when it comes to video game culture, I'm I'm much more active <laughs> and very fully immersed. Well, this podcast is called Sidekicks and Side Quests, where we like to focus on the other uh, rather than maybe the main hero. So do you happen to have a favorite NPC character, whether they're from uh, a tabletop role-playing game or a video game, or you know, maybe you like a particular sidekick character in a movie uh, or a television show or a piece of literature or something like that, and uh, why would they be your favorite NPC or sidekick character? Yeah, so I definitely have favorite sidekicks and a favorite NPC. So when it comes to sidekicks i have three (laughs) from three different video games diablo 3 love the paladin Uh, i played with him loyally anytime i've ever played the game i i love i'm always a wizard or a cleric of some sort in any game that i play so i i like having muscle around me (laughs) you know sort of a tank to barge in and help me out in my battles but also i enjoy the theology and the devotion of the paladin even the fact that he holds a reliquary and has these different kind of holy weapons that he carries with him as a templar and etc so it really is he's a fascinating character and it's crazy because by the time i beat diablo 3 and i actually had the dlc see in the expansion pack i was emotional i was like i don't want to part ways with the paladin and they offer you other sidekicks i'm like nope paladin (laughs) all the way through uh and so that's one hyperlight drifter i don't know if you're familiar with that game one of the most beautiful indie games ever made it is off the the beaten trail of games is sort of up there with unravel and some of these other uh, lesser known games journey made by that game company but hyperlight drifter an incredibly tragic tragic video game uh in in the most proper sense it's a drama there's beauty in it the soundtrack's unbelievable the backstory is incredible but you get a little computer sidekick so this takes place years and years in the future and he's just he's your buddy he helps you unlock doors he helps you decipher things uh sort of directs you throughout the world Uh, again you, you develop an emotional attachment but if i had to go to my favorite ever sidekicks plural Mm-hmm. I have to say Donald and Goofy from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I grew up with them. I grew up with them in both in two ways. I'm born and raised in Orlando. So I literally grew up with Donald and Goofy. Like I was over at Disney World once a month. But then when they were in a video game, forget about it. So I mean, going through almost a decade of Kingdom Hearts playing alongside Donald and Goofy, that was very touching for myself. When it comes to a side quest, I love Dragon's Dogma outstanding game unfortunately it flew under the radar because capcom really stinks at pr uh but in my opinion one of the best rpgs made uh out there it can definitely compete with skyrim or with dragon age inquisition for sure uh dragon's dogma there's a side quest for a young girl named Celine who is considered a witch, but she's really just an herbalist um, Mm. and very good at mixing potions and what have you. And you have the choice whether to help her or not, but her backstory is really touching. And whenever I play RPGs, even doing stuff with D&D, I do have a heart because I guess I'm a priest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a heart for those people that are on the peripheries and the marginalized. Mm -hmm. So anytime I see an NPC out there that most gamers would probably just hit skip and like go back to the main quest and like, oh no, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. I'm sure most heroes forget about you, but I won't forget about you. (laughs) So helping her in that side quest is really uh, inspirational and I enjoyed it. Was there any other particular side quest that kind of stood out to you from any other game and kind of captured your heart as well? Yes, there are many, many that I could go through. Uh, Skyrim has so many side quests, it's nearly impossible to 100% the game. (laughs) And of course, with the expansion and DLCs, it's just constantly going on and on. So some of the side quests for sure in Skyrim uh, are 
either fun to purposely destroy, which <laughs> which some people might do um, when you when you just fusfaka uh, somebody off the cliff, you know, with your dragon voice. But uh, but there are also some of those quests that are that are really touching as well. So uh, so I could I can't really name any particular because there's just so many of them. But mm -hmm. I enjoyed going through that game and doing all those side quests as well. Well, here to round out the final question in the personal interview section, what are you passionate about and why? <laughs> so the obvious choice, of course, is religion and, mm -hmm. and all that pertains to it, theology and philosophy. Uh, I also am an avid student of history, specifically military history, and I am really fascinated by culture, all human culture, the whole spectrum of it. I, I enjoy language learning people's traditions, uh, languages, going through the different ways that they encounter and interpret reality, their, the way they exist in a phenomenological way. Anything that whets the palate, so to speak, in the realm of the spectrum of humanity, I just love. You could drop me off in the middle of a country where I don't know the language, the custom, or the culture, and I'd be right at home. I just love immersing myself in those things because I love human beings. We are the most beautiful, fascinating creatures ever. And every single human being is a gift and they're just infinitely filled with such incredible, incredible things. Uh, and I, I just love every single interaction with the human being I have. It's, it's an adventure for me every time. So, uh, so yeah, I guess that's sort of a, a roundabout answer to, mm -hmm. to your question. So I'd say in addition, of course, to religion, evangelization, philosophy, theology, it is military history and culture are two things that I really enjoy as well. Well, I think it's time, uh, after learning so much about our wonderful guest, to head into some NPC creation. <laughs> yes! <laughs> All right. This NPC creation segment is uh, brought to you by you, the podcast audience. You know, it's been going two years and finally opened a Patreon, and at the time of this recording, as I literally check the app right now, yep, zero patrons, zero dollars, that's okay, I'm still gonna make this podcast, but if you'd like to help out, you know, you got some uh, gold coins burning in your pocket, you don't know what to do with them, consider giving them to probably one of the cheapest Patreon accounts you'll find out there, so go check out the show notes, uh, and go to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests if you want to donate at a one, two, or four dollar month level. I'd appreciate it, and it would be cool. So, all right. I believe before we began hitting all the various buttons and getting all the systems running, you had said uh, that you had come up with a character. We were going to go piece by piece, question by question, to figure out who the character was, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay, excellent. So, easy question. What's the character's name? So that in of itself has a very vast history because uh, this <laughs> this is a, a here we go crack open the Cimmerillion. Let's yes. go from the very beginning. <laughs> so it's an ancient character from a, from a very ancient culture, but his birth name is Rito Herkimer. Rito Herkimer. He comes from the Herkimer family, which is a long line of clerics who specialize in itinerant clerics. Okay. Uh, however, when he was young, he was chosen to fulfill a specific office within his clan, uh, which is called the Zotani Nimi, the Zotani Nimi, which translates to our tongue as the living memory. So there is a whole descent of itinerant clerics who receive this gift of the Zotani Nimi, and they're chosen from one of the houses of clerics, of which this time it was from the Herkimer house. So he was chosen to be the Zotani Nimi. So that is his official name now. However, 
after some tragic events with the civilization that led to the deterioration, not least of which was a horrific civil war, and he changed his name when he left his society and started wandering around the world where he will now encounter your main character and hero. Uh, and he changed his name to the Pathos Anthropoi, Pathos for short, which in our tongue would be the ache of humanity. This is good stuff. This is where the magic, uh, the, the wonder, the mystery of it all uh, comes to fruition. So yeah, just the first question alone, I'm already hooked and I'm already sitting here sweating like, okay, I better have my pencil ready to start <laughs> writing some of this down so I can get it for the show notes correct later. But awesome. Okay. Well, what is the ancestry of this character? Are we going like strictly human or if you had a chance to kind of look and figure out maybe one of the different uh, ancestries that's available in the player's handbook or the monster manual or something yeah. like that? So we're going strictly human, again, of the cleric class. Uh, and he comes from a, an ancient civilization that specializes in the living memory. And this, this actually goes to uh, what the side quest will be as well. So I don't want to blow too much of it away. Oh, sure. But the way that the mission of the Zotani Nimi is that in this culture, what makes them thrive, what makes them really blossom is that the Zotani Nimi is passed on organically from the previous Zotani Nimi all the memories of the society. So think of something like The Giver. Yeah. If you remember that book. Mm -hmm. So so he's that same kind of character. He receives all these memories and experiences. And so the Zotani Nimi becomes a source of wisdom for the entire civilization as well. Mm. And specifically, he's given a grimoire. Okay, so this grimoire, whenever you open it, it has moving pictures inside of it, depicting different events. Mm. And it enlarges, of course, even though it's infinitely light and it never has any kind of weight with it, it will add different images and pictures to it. When you open up the grimoire, instead of being a typical just sort of moving picture, you can actually immerse yourself into the picture itself and you can physically watch the event take place and then garner wisdom from the event. So you can revisit and go back into the living memory of the culture. And oh. this is one of the gifts of the Zotani Nimi. All that to say that his ancestry, his civilization, that's their specialty is that they maintain the memories of the world. And they okay. keep them alive within their culture. And this is also becomes the source of their wisdom. However, unfortunately, um, as they started garnering more influence, more power, uh, some corrupt individuals no longer listened to the Zotani. And they thought they'd be better if they moved on from this tradition. And they started sort of going into perversions, hedonism, and it slowly deteriorated their culture into a horrific civil war. And so um, he actually is the last Zotani. And this is, uh, there's no longer any, all the clerics have been wiped out, unfortunately, all the clans from this war. And now he's an itinerant cleric, sort of traveling around and giving the gift of living memory to the world that's left as a warning to what could happen to them if they don't respect the, the traditions and the wisdom from ages past. Okay. And so do we imagine that this is an exclusively human centric culture or is it like a mixed ancestry sort of culture? So you'd find like elves and dwarves and orcs and goblins. Yes, and mix, mixed ancestry. And the clerics are strictly human descent, okay. but they garner wisdom and experiences from all these other races and from oh. all the other backgrounds. They, they accumulate and synthesize them together. So I would imagine that they are actually a source of reference for all these other races as well. You know, when you're looking for maybe your, your race is going through a specifically difficult domestic time within their clan, or, or maybe your culture is going with a very specific economic or war plague or something like that, and you need some wisdom, you would go to the Zotani and you would go try to find out this from this living memory 
uh, what happened in your own society, maybe generations and decades or centuries ago and how your people approached it. And he would be able to share with you and go back to that memory and, and give all of it to you. Okay. So yeah, because as you were explaining the itinerant thing, so that's probably the biggest thing about this culture is that these clerics from this culture would go out. And so then they became like these mobile repositories of knowledge and memory and stuff. And exactly for, for their religion. So whether this is, does this deity have a specific name or is it just kind of like, is that what the Zotani is? Is that the name of this deity or is it something else that is elusive? It's more elusive and ethereal that there's no specific personality behind this deity. They just call it the other memory oh, okay. or, or the high memory. So that's what they receive this wisdom from. And it goes back all the way to the first Otani. Uh, oh, okay. So kind of some Avatar, the last airbender influences I'm picking up here a little. Oh, bit. yes, most certainly. Most okay. certainly. Well, yeah, yeah. So we've, yeah, we've knocked out the next question as far as what is the job or role in society for this character. So they're the last Zotani. And so they're this wandering, uh, I kind of imagine, I guess, not that I really watched it, but I guess that old television version of the Incredible Hulk where Banner's just walking with his bundle on his shoulder and right. his thumb <laughs> out on the highway like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to hitchhike and uh, just see the rest of the world and, and see what I can do. Into um, some of the world, he's a legend, okay. meaning they know about the, the tragedy of those Zatani people, but they don't know if anyone's really left. So when they encounter him, they're really sort of surprised and enthused about it. Um, and to others, he might be well known. You know, when mm. they encounter him, they can't believe, oh, my gosh, this is a this is a Zotani. Well, how old is our human then pathos at this point? So uh, the Zotani, once they receive the living memory, they age differently. Okay. Uh, so they actually, they, they have an extended way of living. So typically, of course, they just have a human lifespan. But whenever you become a Zotani, you get sort of this life energy, if you will, from the previous Zotani. And so in his own age, he's already in his 80s, 80s, okay. 90s, but he's still looking young of build, um, relatively fit. However, his eyes, his eyes are very different. When you look at his eyes, it seems like he's lived a thousand lifetimes. There's a depth for them. Uh, they don't have the same youthful appearance as the rest of his body. What is it? The men of the North and uh, Middle Earth? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Aragorn. I'm 80 years old. But right. What? You look like a 30-year-old dude. What's going on? What's that secret that I get miracle elixir that I need to drink? Right. Very similar. I mean, Aragorn got it, of course, being half elf. Oh, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So this origin's a little bit different. He gets it from receiving this gift of the Zotani Nimi, of, of the living memory. So it helps. It, what it does is that in their culture, it helps with the transition period because if it were to happen too rapidly all the time, mm-hmm. and then memory wouldn't be able to, to really stupor or to last too long. So they need someone in the office for an extended period of time. And that's an interesting point because I know general lore as far as fantasy is concerned and with D&D, humans obviously having normal human lifespans. But, you know, when compared to like dwarves that can live to like 450 to 500 years and elves, which could live upwards to like 700 or 750 years, I think, as written uh, in the player's handbook or whatnot. So it's kind of interesting that this priesthood rests with the humans that have the considerable, you know, shorter lifespans. But yet when they're in this priesthood and they're given this living memory, it's able to extend until like, okay, now the next batch of human priesthood is ready to then be passed on. Uh, exactly. This memory. So. Because it takes decades to prepare yourself if you are chosen as the Zotani. And there's never been any other Zotani that's been like an elf or a dwarf or, or anything crazy like that. So possibly, 
Possibly, but as far as as far as I know, this has only been maintained to the human race. Although, you know, something like this could extend to other races, especially someone like the elves. I mean, they're mm. such an incredible, incredible race of creatures. I wouldn't be surprised if they have something similar hidden away in one of their deep forests or, <laughs> or their societies. Yeah, that's what we like on this show is to leave some leeway and mystery to be like, oh, so if you import this right into your game, like, oh my gosh, there's another, oh my gosh, you're a dwarf, Zotani. How's this even possible? Yeah, it could could be possible. Can you describe the physical appearance of our character today? How do they appear? Yes. So I described a little bit of it earlier. Again, he's younger, very fit. Still full head of hair and what have you, still colored, you know, brown hair, but his eyes are very different. And actually, whenever someone looks at him, his eyes sometimes will change color, depending on how you see him, uh, almost embodying this sense of there's multiple uh, lives or multiple sort of personalities um, or experiences within him. He's living through all these things constantly. And so he also has bags under his eyes and they're a little more embedded because there's this almost uh, exhaustion of carrying the weight of so many cultures, experiences that are constantly with him. So he's also a suffering servant in many ways um, to the world. And it's it's not a light thing to be chosen as the Zotani Mimi. It's a very bearing thing. So due to that, his physical body also represents it. Um, there's a, He has a little bit of a hunch Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like he's carrying a weight constantly. He does walk with a staff. Of course, this is typical of all the priests. They will carry a staff with them of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as his robes go, so think of almost, uh, it's interesting. And maybe this is because the, the Zotani Nimi culture has so many influences across the, the many different races, but he dresses a bit more like a druid than a cleric. Interesting. Uh, so the, there might be a background there of an interaction in their past somewhere. We know the druid are also very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this this sort of tie to, to magic and to the earth. So he has more of a druid look. They're required, if you are chosen as Zotani, you're required to wear white. Uh, so it's it's all white. There's a golden sash that goes from left to right. Um, so left shoulder down to the right side of the waist as well, around the front of you. Um, so that's typical. That's put on you whenever you finally uh, receive the living memory. Um, so that's sort of his basic look. Okay, so interesting. So, but now he has the more druid look, so not like the traditional sort of white and gold sash combo. And is that because of self preservation of like, oh, I'm the last one. And so, you know, yes. whatever caused it, I can't let them find me and then kill the living memory, basically. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, so, I think it's a combination of two things. That most certainly could be part of it, just the survival from the Civil War itself, which was horrific and pretty much destroyed their whole culture. But another part of it is that he's, he's learned from these previous experiences and living memory that one of the most important things about maintaining memory and culture is the ability to be relatable. Mm. So, he has to be approachable. Uh, if you're if you're dressed like a traditional Zatani, then you have this sort of intimidating stature. Maybe people won't be able to approach you as freely. So, I mean, he goes to pubs now and he goes <laughs> to different taverns and what have you just because he's itinerant and mm-hmm. he wants to be able to enter into sort of a regular conversation with people, meet them where they're at. And then a little by little, they'll understand who he actually is and he might be able to share some wisdom with them. And if he meets the off chance hero or uh, main character, he could provide some very good wisdom for them. And if you had to describe uh, pathos, pathos, what it, is yeah. it more pathos? Pathos or-, or pathos, depending on where you're from and what your tongue is, how you I, pronounce A's. I see. So if you had to describe uh, pathos with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you use? Longing, wisdom, insight. I would say longing because uh, that's one of his most important attributes. That's why he changed his name, pathos anthropoi, the ache of humanity or the ache of the world. Uh, he really embodies 
the tragedy of what a world becomes when it forgets itself, uh, what a society becomes when it forgets its, where it comes from, uh, its own tradition. And so there is that sense of in him a longing. Now, longing isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, there's also a good kind of longing. So for those of us who are Christians, for example, we always long. We long for our ultimate homeland, which is the heavenly kingdom. And that longing is what inspires what we do. And so his life is really driven by this longing for the preservation of the goodness of, of all creatures and all races. And this is what also makes him very positive. So he is a joyful person. He's not someone who's you know down or sad or sorrowful or is sort of a Debbie Downer in any way. There's a joy and enthusiasm about him, although there's also this weight that he bears. Uh, so think very similar to Gandalf in many ways, personality, to where Gandalf carries this weight of being one of the last of the wizards to be faithful to his vocation. And he never gives up on Middle-earth, even though many of the other wizards have. And even one of them betrays Middle-earth, Sauron. So, uh, so similar kind of character here. Uh, and then when it comes to the other wisdom and insight, wisdom obviously from the living memory, insight also from the living memory, but insight into people too. He's very good at reading people, knowing what their gifts are, what their lacks are. And that's what also helps him advise, is that he could read people very quickly and sort of say, oh, well, you know, I think you should react this way according to what at least I'm seeing. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's also that kind of, of gift for reading hearts, if you will. I think you led on with this, but what's a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that Pathos uh, ascribes to? Oh, yeah. Living memory in the grimoire. So yeah. the grimoire he carries with him wherever he goes, um, and he can harbor into any memory that he needs to. And is it to... an unassuming book? Because uh, obviously when you say something like grimoire, something you know that comes to mind is something like the Necronomicon from the Evil Dead or uh, right. or the book from uh, the Hocus Pocus Halloween movie or something like that. It would seem like a normal unassuming book or something like that. Yes, maybe. it's an unassuming text. It's leather bound, um, written very, very traditionally on something called vellum. Mm, so it's yes. not made on paper. It's made okay. on vellum. Uh, and that's a, an old tradition. You can't add to the grimoire with paper. You have to, to maintain by writing with or embedding, if you will, memory on vellum. So, but it is an unassuming text. Yeah, it's a simple leather bound book. That's part of its charm. What is a particular quest that Pathos would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do? Whether that means he's just sending them off to go do it or if he's going to accompany them, what's going to be the side quest? So the side quest is going to be entitled Living Memory. Okay. Uh, and, and so this is <laughs> which he will school. So the whole point of it is that for the side quest, you have to actually go to the Zotani ruins oh. and to look through the history, which is inscribed in different hieroglyphs and what have you. Um, on the side of walls and sort of look up what happened with the conflict. He will accompany you. So Pathos will accompany you on this journey. And as you look for these ruins, you are also looking for a page of the grimoire. Oh, interesting. Left there. And so this page details the last act of the civil war and what took place in its conclusion. And so oh. if you can help deliver this piece of vellum that was lost in the confusion of his escape, then you complete the quest. Oh, awesome. That's interesting. So, okay. So he fled the conflict and so he wasn't able to get that final memory. So exactly, kind of, you know, you said longing. And so that kind of makes me think of like how he's been these last fill in the blank, however many years it's been since the conflict, you know, just that feeling of like, you know, there's something that's eluding me. There's, you know, there's like a piece of me, you know, there's, I'm aching and, you know, not only for humanity and, and the world and all the various ancestries and races and peoples that live in it, but like, literally, like, I don't know what happened to my culture and like, yes. I haven't, I haven't been back. 
I've been afraid to go back. I haven't wanted to go back until I could find someone to go with me. Is that kind of what we're thinking? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And he also doesn't know what awaits him when he gets there. So what monsters are there? What what other creatures or races might have overtaken these ruins? Are there any remnants of the civil rebels there that are still hunting and looking for him? But there's this need inside of him for closure. He has mm-hmm. to go and, and look at this memory. And also there's a part of him that feels responsible in some way because he was also the Zodhani when the Civil War happened. Did he not foresee it by looking through past events? Was he not able to give the guidance, the advice that was needed to save his culture? So it's also an act of charity for him to really close that event wow. in his life. And just as you were explaining, um, you know, you can't add to the grimoire with paper. You have to do it with vellum. Right. And so... I guess I'm just trying to understand. So we're looking for this vellum page and obviously he's been wondering and stuff like that. So whenever he picks up vellum, he's able to like add new memories to the grimoire then as he's been experiencing life outside. Exactly. So he's constantly adding to it. Anytime that a major event happens, or even if he witnesses something that he's not directly related to that he thinks is significant, he'll record the memory there and put it there. Or if he interacts with another race, maybe he hears a, a very important story. Uh, maybe he hears about a conflict or he meets a, an elf of some sort or a druid of some sort or perhaps a dwarf and the dwarf speaks about a certain kind of craft and how it's made and, and how you do it and this is unique to their, to their civilization. He'll record that down. All right. So now, obviously, uh, we've completed the side quest and so now we're at the reward part. So what's going to be the reward for succeeding in the quest? Well, we got to work on that intelligence. So <laughs> so an increase in intelligence for sure. But I would say the, the most precious gift is that he will give you a grimoire page of your choice Ooh. that you will be able to either fill with your own memory of your choice. So you can keep it with you and sort of it will allow you this one chance opportunity to inscribe your own memory onto there. Or you can pick a memory of your choice from the grimoire to keep with you. So, oh, wow. And, and continue referring to it in the future. So he'll actually let you go through and pick one that he can inscribe on a new vellum page and you can keep it with you. You have the chance to inscribe your own memory onto it. So it could be given as a gift if you need to. Let's say you have a certain interaction in your D&D realm and you need to give it to someone. Um, it mm-hmm. can be used for your own experience. So you can gain experience from it. Um, or it can be used as, as sort of a tool as well. Interesting. Okay, that's really cool. And so yeah, so if you if you get to pick a memory from the grimoire, basically, he's making a photocopy of it. He's not right. actually like ripping the page out. Exactly. The grimoire exactly. or anything he, like that. He, he gets a new piece of vellum, he can inscribe on there, whatever you would like. So you'll get your choice to pick one of these memories. So and, and you could be general about it, say, well, I want a valuable piece of lore on how elves, you know, craft x, y, or z. Mm. And he could go back through and look, and then that could help you in this crafting or learning how to do this particular thing that's unique only to another race. Mm. Um, And so he has these insights and these kind of gifts that can help you with that. Um, Or how do I interact with this kind of creature or how do I defeat this kind of of monster, you know? Um, And so he could refer to these kind of things or just give you a one and give you sort of that power for a single time that you're able to inscribe once whatever memory you'd like onto it. So if the players choose to, okay, I'm going to inscribe a memory on the vellum, does that then get added to the grimoire or is it just special like, oh, this is my memory that I'm closing on this one vellum paper and it just stays with me and that's it? Yeah, only only the Zatani can add to the grimoire itself. So this will stay only with the player. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's that's super cool. But of course, we also have to consider the flip side of this. What's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call to the adventure? 
So one of the consequences is you losing, of course, that reward for the quest, which is actually really important, I think, and fascinating, fascinating reward. The other one uh, would be that later on, the conflict that's taking place in the Zotani temple. So if you go over mm -hmm. there, you help him complete the quest, he gets the grimoire, that last memory gives him an insight, actually, to some of the rebels and their thought and what was going on. And it helps him go and to resolve the conflict in a different way down the road. But if you don't do that, then it's possible that later on in the game, you might encounter some of these Zotani rebels and they might cause you some trouble. So it has definite larger scale sort of ramifications for the game world as far as like, okay, so the it's a broken civilization. Uh, and then if he fails to get the memory to peacefully resolve it and maybe start building that civilization or that culture back, instead, just the remnants or whoever's left is just going to begin a campaign of conquest or something like that on maybe the wider world. The, they won't be able to conquest because they're a little more barbaric than the, the height of the civilization was, but they'll just become these marauding group of rogues that are just uh, hedonistic and vicious. And they're just sort of ravaging sort of the, the world um, as they go around and sort of become these, these burgling rogues. So there's always a chance you might encounter them. So what are the goals and motivations of your character? Well, the one is to really have closure about what happened to his race and his people. Uh, and the second main driver is to make sure it never happens again to another race or culture of people. So that's the whole point of it, being an itinerant cleric, sort of this traveling, uh, not a bard per se, mm -hmm. but this traveling speaker of, uh, of wisdom. And he just tries little by little help whoever he can by sharing these different experiences. Um, and also, one of his most important things that he never speaks to anybody about, this is more in the back of his mind and heart, but he's not going to live forever. Mm, that's true. So he is kind of on a, a, on a slower ticking clock. Yes. As it were. So it's still a very short clock compared to elves or dwarves, for example. Mm -hmm. So what is he going to do? Is it even possible to restart this culture? What, what, do, what happens? It was, was receiving, and these are questions he's never had, no one's ever had to ask for. So he has no memory for this, mm. you know, um, is this, is this memory gift, can it be passed to another race? Can it be given to someone else? Does it have to be from one of the houses of the clerics? It, will it be effective? So these are all these kind of things are running through his mind. He also has to find a way to try to continue uh, this gift of living memory so that the world doesn't lose it. How do these goals and motivations affect Pathos's general personality? So again, there's this sense of longing in him. This, uh, there's definitely a drivenness in his personality for sure. So he's always determined. He's never still. Throughout his journeys, he's constantly visiting libraries. He's constantly interacting with different races, different people, speaking, because he's also a student, a perpetual student. He's learning all the time. He, he can't get rid of this tendency that he has to, to add to living memory, to keep on sort of gathering this wisdom from ages past. So uh, he has a drivenness about him. And of course, uh, along with that longing, that drivenness, there's this deeper sense of peace, uh, this deeper sense of just trust that somehow, some way, uh, one of the best lessons that he learned from living memory is that truth always finds a way. Uh, that there's always a solution, especially if he looks back in some of those memories from the past, from the past Ontani, there were situations that seemed hopeless on the surface level and always turned out being fine somehow. Uh, there was this divine actor, if you will, that would constantly throw just the right person or just the right thing in your way to make sure that it came to a good conclusion. So there's this underlining hope in him. How does Pathos normally interact, say, with like family and friends and peers versus enemies and rivals? versus people that he reports to? 
with player characters, is his temperament pretty much the same across the board, or does he have different ways of presenting and carrying himself? So with most people, he's congenial. He's uh, charismatic. People enjoy speaking to him. Again, they're sort of drawn to the sense that there's an age to him or an agelessness maybe to him. <laughs> uh, and so with most people, there's that sort of fascination. How does this guy know these things? Uh, what, what are these insights that he has? So with, with characters, with the regular people, he, he's very congenial. With his enemies, he could be fierce. He could be fierce if necessary. Part of living memory is that he also has studied all these different races and cultures. He knows their ways of fighting. He knows their backgrounds. Now, granted, he can't use all the gifts and talents, of course, of other races that are restricted to elves and druids and what have you. So he can't do all those different magics or you know archery or all these sort of things as well. But he is, he is aware of these and he knows how to either, he always prefers cunning first. So there's a way to get out of it without violence. He'll try to find it. Um, whether that means outsmarting the enemy or whether that means avoiding the conflict entirely. But if he has to fight, he'll fight. Does Pathos have a particular accent or language uh, that he uses? Are there any idiosyncrasies in the way that he acts and speaks? So, yes, he has an accent when he tries to speak common tongue, for sure, <laughs> with people. It's, the accent's interesting. It's sort of this mixture between um, all of his vowels are tall, tall vowels. Um, so he wouldn't say pathos, for example, say pathos. Uh, there, there's this constant sense of almost, I don't want to say a British sounding background, but this sort of haughty, high culture speaking. And part of that's also because from these other memory, he's acquainted with multiple languages. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he has this sort of weird mixed accent at the same exact time that people really can't place. They're like, where are you from? You know, um, and so, yes, he does speak with an accent. His native tongue is, of course, the tongue of his people, the Zotani people, which they, they do just call Zotani. Mm -hmm. um, everything revolves around the Zotani Nimi in that culture. That's like their, their gig. That's what really identifies and defines them as a culture. That's why it ended up falling into ruinous because they forgot that. Um, they tried to build it around themselves, around ego and hedonism instead of around the Zotani and their, their main mission and purpose. Um, and then the last part of that was about said accent. Oh, idiosyncrasies. Yeah. 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 Most certainly. Um, idiosyncrasies, again, pleasant to interact with, has a little bit of OCD with these, with uh, different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you were sitting with him, at, for example, at the tavern or you're interacting with him, and he would like his mug placed a certain way. Um, he would like things in order. He doesn't like dirtiness whatsoever. Um, so there's this cleanliness. But at the same time, he's Spartan. So uh, no gaudiness, uh, mm. no sense of, you know, not a lot of rings or diamonds, or he isn't fascinated in those kind of things. It's, there's a, he really is, think of like Marcus Aurelius and the notion of stoicism. Uh, what is essential to the good life? What is essential to, to the best kind of life? That's what he's interested in having, nothing else additional. What impact has Pathos made on the world? How has he shaped the local area? Yeah, so I think we spoke a lot about that. Obviously, this is someone who would have a lot of influence. You know, according to the DM and sort of how the DM wants to integrate him, he can have as much influence or as little. I would imagine him having some wide, or not even just him specifically, but the Zotani in general, just being this far off, uh, sort of distant culture. Um, mm -hmm. Think of almost like Winterhold from Skyrim how they're sort of separated from the rest of Tamriel and Skyrim. Um, everyone knows about them, but it's just this weird sort of cultic place that you only go when you really, really need the gifts and talents of those people in Winterhold, but you sort of avoid it otherwise. So mm -hmm. I imagine the, the rest of the world would see it sort of like that. This is off-world uh, sort of place, off the map kind of uh, stronghold or region where you go when you need the help. 
But other than that, they sort of keep to themselves. And they, they live sort of a monastic lifestyle in that regards. You know, they, they really do stay among themselves. But I would imagine those Otani in general having a, a wider influence on the world around him. Now, of course, in his local society, he's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what he's, what he's inherited is the gift that the whole culture and society revolves around. Um, and that's also why it's so tragic to him, because why did this happen? Did I do something wrong? That's uh, that's led to the loss of all of this, um, oh. and is and is there possible a possibility to rebuild this? You know, this once beautiful place. He has memories, memories going through the temples, memories uh, being with the Zotani, the one previous to him. Uh, oh. And so, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Do you have any current problems that prevent you from being a bigger player on the stage? Is it the fact that he's the only one? Is it the fact that he's missing this page? Is it something else? Yeah, I would say the fact that he's the only one. This, this changes and sort of dictates his whole life now. He would have had a very different kind of life if everything was still okay back with his people. Um, but unfortunately, it, that's another part of his suffering is why me? Why mm-hmm. this time? Uh, why is it that I wasn't able just to pass this on to the next one and sort of die my days happy and in peace like the one before me? So, uh, so there's that constant questioning and thought process as he as he meditates, as he thinks about all these different memories. And, and he, he never feels lonely either. It's very interesting because he's, he's always able to go to these memories and sort of walk through them. So there's this experience of never being alone. He always has these friends. He can't, now he can't, when he goes to the memories, he can't interact with them. He can only mm-hmm. observe, you know, but there's still this sense of companionship when he'll go back and see how others Otani lived or how maybe he'll go back and see a particular race that he's fond of. Each Zotani will fall in love with maybe different races and their cultures and their abilities and traditions. Wow. No, I'm just, I'm, it's like, it's just stunning. Just the, the, this whole character and this whole mythos and this whole thing that's been built. And uh, I'm already sitting here thinking like, okay, where can I stick this in my game? Because this sounds too <laughs> cool not to, to, to pass up. So that's think, awesome. Good to hear. So with that, I think it's time we head into a random encounter. All right. let's do it so this random encounter of course brought to you by our final sponsor of the show reaper miniatures they're texas titans of the tabletop industry since 94 uh they're here in the backyard of dfw they have got an amazing warehouse and game store Uh, they make everything from paints to gaming accessories and they stream on twitch and youtube with tutorials and interviews whatever game you're running whatever system you're using reaper's got a miniature for you uh, every time you shop with them and spend at least $40, $50 on your purchase, they're going to throw in a cool mini of the month for free. Uh, it's always something new, so all the more reason to go back and shop with them. If you visit my website, and if you check the show notes below, you can find a link uh, for this affiliate relationship we've got with Reaper Miniatures, and it helps to track the traffic between Sidekicks and SideQuest and Reaper Miniatures, and so we're able to combine our Texas powers to continue doing awesome things. I have to thank Reaper, of course, because I checked my email, oh, a couple months ago at this point. I've got a gift card uh, from them once again. And of course, they sent me a couple at Christmas time that I was able to use in the store. I think right now with all the stuff going on in Ukraine, they've designed a new mini, which is based off the national bird of Ukraine. So I don't know if that's the mini of the month or it's just a new one that they've made that goes to supporting that. But definitely go to Reaper Miniatures. Use my link to go check it out. Go get that mini so that way they can use the funds uh, to give it to those in need in Ukraine. Uh, Again, check out the link on my website in the show notes and follow Reaper on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. 
now this is the part of the show where we get to have a little bit of a mini D&D session, as it were. We get to do a little role play, a little vignette, a little scene uh, with our character. And so I'm curious as to what kind of scene are you wanting to play out? We've got a lot of room to play out with since you've uh, outlined this whole mythic tale saga, this Beowulf level saga that we have before <laughs> the, us. So are you wanting to maybe perhaps do a scene of like, I, I mean, he, he has the living memory, so it could be any, any number of scenes, but some of the ones that come to mind that might be interesting are like, what would be those final moments before like, I don't know, the civil war comes to the temple and he's like having to escape or he meets one of the podcast adventurer characters and gives them the task of going on the side quest or I don't know, is there something else, some other scene that you think would showcase pathos really well? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. I think when it, if we were to go on the civil war scene, it wouldn't capture him too much because he, they really try to preserve him and help him escape the people who sort of raised him and mentored him do die tragically as, as they're trying to help him leave mm. the temple area. Um, so that, that was definitely very formative for him too. Makes him feel partly responsible. I think what about in, an interaction uh, with a character who he thinks could possibly become another Zotani? Ooh, Wow. Okay, that would be interesting. Yeah, his first his first encounter, there's something about this character, and maybe you can be you, know, you help create him, but there's something about this character that strikes Pathos in a way no one else ever has. Okay. And he's well, wondering, is this someone who could be worthy of, of living memory? We have a couple of characters that exist on the podcast already. We have Duncan, who's the recklessly brave adventurer for hire. He is a human. He's stuck in the Forgotten Realms right now. Um, okay. He could, he could always come back to the quote unquote podcast uh, universe. <laughs> We've got Sonia, the warrior woman. She met up with Axios actually. And so she's a barbarian who multiclassed into Paladin to follow the same sort of uh, religious path that Axios, the revenant priest, uh, is. Uh, and then we've also got Korak. He's a lawful evil dwarf, arcane trickster rogue. Uh, and then our newest character that we made, uh, Chrisley, who is a wood elf, a shy herbalist, botanist, sort of a druid character. Um, or, you know, if we wanted to create a brand new NPC, we could certainly do that too, uh, to add them into the, the list, the cavalcade of characters uh, for the podcast. What about, let's interact with the druid. He's so influenced anyways by druid culture. I'm sure he'd be fascinated with it. Man, Chrisley, she has been on a hot streak as of late. With, has she? Uh, <laughs> with, with getting on all these random encounter segments, which is great. This is good. Chrisley is very quickly advancing in level to catch up with all the other NPCs uh, <laughs> interactions that have happened on this show. So we will go ahead and set the scene. So where we last left our hero... Finishing her excursion uh, through the Feywild with Aerith Defarinin, uh, she helped the young changeling wizard uh, navigate her way safely through the Feywild to finally confront her birth parents and meet up with the human child that her adoptive uh, family didn't know that they were missing. And so she was able to help this family reconcile and, uh, and get Aerith safely back from the Feywild back to the, the mortal realm, the, the mundane plane of existence uh, for her to go back to school and all that. So she's very thankful for that. And uh, it, it got Chrisley to come back to her village a little early. The, the elders weren't too mad. She was able to present her findings of what she was able to sketch. But as she reemerges from the natural gate that exists within this wood elf community, there's like a buzz. There's a commotion. There's like some new outsider that's come into the woad 
obviously the guest that Chrisley just brought, you know, was a little bit of a hubbub, but it seems like an even bigger hubbub now going on, like the gathering in like the communal center of the woad of this little enclosure. I kind of imagine like a mixture of like Ewok village with Lothlorien with, uh, you know, just hippie sort of a, a commune, sort of a place where these wood elves dwell. And I guess uh, if you'd like to describe how how does Pathos look with all of these elves, all these various wood elves, you know, some of them druids, some of them fighters and other just, you know, all sorts of people uh, from different age ranges. And they're kind of gathered around you uh, looking at you. Maybe some of the elders are talking to you or, or, or something. But what does Chrisley come into the scene seeing as she emerges from this uh, dimensional gate, as it were? Yeah, great. So so whenever she emerges, are there already the elves have already gathered around me? Or am exactly. I sitting am sitting in the commune sort of alone? Uh, no, I would say like, you know, they're gathered around you. So whether that okay. means you've just gotten here or maybe you're holding a lecture and they're asking you questions about, you know, different memories because, you know, th- this woad is very uh, insular. So Chrisley is on this journey to like go forth to nature outside the woad and to be its protector. And she's supposed to like collect sketches and all these other sorts of things while she's out and about. And so the fact that someone as powerful as you has like come into their woad is kind of like a big deal. And maybe the elders are trying to search their memories or they're asking you about the memories of like the last time of one of you guys ever showed up because it's been a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that first of all, the elders recognize uh, my background for sure, right off the bat. So, so let's go ahead and start this, start this story. So Pathos is in this commune and the majority of the elves are absolutely fascinated on how he got there in the first place. It would take someone with some form of knowledge or acquaintance with their Mm -hmm. society and their culture. And he most certainly has never been there before. So they think, although he's been there many hundreds of times in his memory. And Mm. so to him, it seems like a very familiar place, even though it's physically the first time he's ever stepped into it. Uh, Some of the elders, however, approach him, they question him, and as they speak, they find out what he is. And the elders are very much uh, attuned to what a Zotani Nimi is, and they can't believe that they've seen one, although they know that these have been there before, his previous Zotani Nimi, his predecessors. And he makes this comment that catches Christy by surprise. When he, when he says, it's just like I remember it. And she's wondering, well, how does he remember sort mm. of this, this culture? Um, so I would imagine that she comes, she approaches him during this, amidst this conversation, and they themselves start a dialogue. Mm. And from what you described about Chrisley, she is right up this avenue with mm. pathos, uh, drawing sketches, gathering knowledge about the outside world. Um, and so as they interact, he is fascinated fascinated with her inquisitiveness, it sounds like, um, with her desire to have knowledge. In some ways, he sees not only past lives, but he also sees a little bit of himself. And the thought for the first time ever since the fall of his society crosses his mind, is it possible that this could be the one, that this could be someone I could share this with? Um, And so needless to say, he invites her on this quest to go find this page. Mm-hmm. And let's see what she says. 
Yeah, so you see her emerge, and I guess the, you know, maybe some of the, the kids are, like, excited, and they're, like, touching the clothes, and they're, like, you know, they're staring at your general appearance, and, like, some of the mothers and stuff come over, and, like, oh, go, you know, don't don't bother him, go do your chores, and that kind of sort of thing, and you're finishing up the conversation with the elders as they're questioning you, and, like, some of the other men are standing by, and they're talking to each other in Elvish, and they're trying to, like, you know, what are the elders saying? They're like, oh, he's, you know, he's a Zotani. Like, Zotani, I didn't think those people were real anymore. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, I guess I, mean, I guess they are. And so then they go back to do their own thing. And as Chris Lee is finishing emerging, you can you can see her. And I guess uh, Pathos would know this with this particular culture, with their interaction with this natural gate, the Feywild. It kind of has affected them on just a being essence sort of a level that the more that this particular tribe um, interacts with nature, especially the druids, they kind of take on a more wild and a natural sort of a form. So like they become more exaggerated. And so with Chrisley being back, you know, because she left the load and she started interacting with civilization, some of that more wilder stuff has left her. And so you can see her coming and you can recognize her soul and her, her mood and her happiness and her appearance because she just came from the Feywild. And that's like the most wild place that it could be. So you kind of see like this confidence that she has and she's walking up and you can see like this alien nature sort of like uh, blossoming and blooming and exploding. She feels like she's a little girl again, even though she's just a, a little over 100 at this point to be like considered a young adult by elf standards. So she comes up and, you know, she seems like she's dancing on a cloud and she, you know, looks quizzically at you. And then you'll see like uh, the elders kind of beckon her over. And so she's like, um, oh, and she'll approach. And so she, she and Elvish is like, most reverend elders. Yes, what, what need of you uh, of me? Uh, I was able to to get the young changeling wizard to her family and back, and she'll have the changeling wizard wait off camera, so we haven't forgotten about her. Um, but she's like, oh, I brought her back, and we, we got everything resolved, and oh, and, and who is this individual? And And she's conversing this all in Elvish, because common is not her natural first language either or druidic and you know elvish and druidic are more what she's used to so she's just carrying the conversation on in elvish and she'll say like oh hello who are you and so pathos responds in perfect elvish back uh surprising her yes that, she's definitely surprised yes <laughs> uh and says my name is pathos and i am a zotani nimi have you ever heard of those do you know what they are We'll say she rolls a history check. She doesn't roll a critical failure, but she just rolls low. So she's just kind of like, I'm not familiar with these these tales. You know, she's like trying to search her memory, but she just can't quite piece it together. Maybe just the time distortion that she's still kind of shaking off like a jet lag um, from being in the Feywild and now re-entering back into the mundane world. She just can't recall the memory. So then Pathos uh, briefly describes the purpose of the Zotani Nimi, speaks about how ancient the society is. Is. The elders chime in as well and mm -hmm. sort of fill in the gaps to make it also more understandable for her. Uh, he's still speaking in perfect Elvish at this point, uh, at which point he explains. I imagine he sees sort of a shocked expression or mm -hmm. a questioning expression. So he explains how he's able to do that and, uh, and mentions the living memory and how he speaks many, many languages, or he could at least piece together some of them, if those ones that he's not as fluent in by going back to this memory and sitting with previous speakers and learning how they speak and how they interact. I guess maybe kind of, you know, feeling that sense of feeling competent and stuff like that, maybe as a bit of like a, 
okay, this may be too good to be true because she's on her home turf. So maybe she feels a little more confident to do this than she would normally. Um, but maybe it's kind of like an interesting way to her because she feels like, oh, I'm a druid. And so, you know, obviously he, you know, he serves the living voice. So maybe he couldn't know druidic, you know, he doesn't serve the goddess of nature or something like that. So maybe she will, she'll pull open her sketchbook and she'll start, she'll start talking about some of these plants uh, that she's met. And she starts talking in druidic, like, I know this plant's name. I met it while I was on my last adventure to the cave. This is the mushroom that grew uh, in the dark and radiated the light. And so she's speaking this now in Druidic and maybe kind of seeing this as like a test to figure out like if you really are the real deal, I guess. So Pathos smirks with sort of an entertained smile at this young, in his eyes, upstart. Again, even though they're about the same age almost. Actually, she's older <laughs> than he is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but he smirks because he, of course, has the the experience of many thousands of lifetimes. He knows exactly what she's doing. And he points towards his clothing and points out that it's reflective of the Jewish Druidic culture. And then perfect Druid, he responds and says, that's actually one of my favorite languages and things to talk about. So I guess she'll very quickly like snap her journal closed and maybe she blushes a little bit. I don't know how she would necessarily react to that, but probably a little humbly. And she'll just bow her head to you as a sign of respect for your elderness because, you know, she respects her elders and uh, I guess very sheepishly, uh, she'll just apologize and she'll be like, uh, well, I, 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 I did not think it true and you have proven it. Not many uh, know the Druidic ton. So truly, uh, I guess the goddess of the woad has, has blessed you, blessed us with your presence. And may she always be praised. <laughs> Traditional Druid response. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's impressed. And she'll just kind of like very briefly explain like, oh, I was just finishing up this last adventure. And she'll mention, point over to Aaron. Looks like a human, but she's like, oh, she just went, I just escorted her and went to take her to her birth parents in the Feywild. It took quite a while to get there, but, uh, and you can look at her, you know, her otherwise wild appearance, but you also see she has a, maybe a, a couple of new bits of like some maybe wood or, or metal armor bits. Uh, maybe like a new weapon or two that she's picked up from some of the more evil or chaotic bay creatures uh, that she encountered. So she looks like she's pretty well decked out, a, a competent adventurer. And so she was just like, well, you know, I guess, I mean, I'm going to be heading back out soon. I was going to just, you know, rest another day or so here. And, uh, you know, and she kind of looks around the world and, you know, she kind of feels uh, her face and her arms and her clothes and is just like, you know, get re-energized as it were. Uh, before I set back out beyond the borders of the woad and, and see where nature takes me. Reverting back to the Elvish language, uh, Pathos says, going to the Feywild is not for the faint of heart. I'm very surprised that you're able to, to handle something of such, of such grandeur and also such importance. And he mentions that he has a mission of equal grandeur and equal importance, but it demands someone who's able to persevere it, but also who is able to respect the higher realms, to respect the higher goods, and has a deep ache inside their heart uh, for, for something greater than their own life. You'll see that she's like, well, well yes, I mean, I, I love my home. I love the woad. And, you know, she like looks around longingly and, you know, fondly at it all. But, you know, she's like, I know there's, I know that she's blessed the world beyond this woad. And, you know, it's my charge. It's my duty. And she's like looking at the elders and they're nodding and affirming her and what she's saying of like, I've been charged with the task to, you know, explore 
the rest of her world and, and see what's beyond there and how the rest of the world is progressing and kind of wistfully looks and just is like, there's just, there's just so much to know of, of what is, what has happened with the other tribes that are scattered across the plains. There's so much that you don't know about these things, but thankfully there's a way to answer them. And so I was discussing with the elders before you came over, and I would imagine Pathos was already discussing this elders who are very much acquainted mm -hmm. um, in their wisdom with the downfall of the Zotani Nimi, Zotani Nimi, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> and so I got to make sure to say my language correctly. <laughs> Zotani yeah. Nimi. Um, and they sort of, he looks at them for approval to say what he's about to say. He doesn't know if he should or if he shouldn't. Uh, the, so the elders, I would imagine, I, he looks at the elders and what, how do the elders respond? Uh, well, the elders have kind of already sent her off on this quest to do it. And I mean, she just kind of, it's like she came back early for an unexpected pit stop. Um, so as far as they're concerned, it's like, you know, she hasn't completed her quest yet. There's still more world for her to explore. So, and they understand the gravity and the seriousness of you. And so they're going to, you know, even though you're a human in an otherwise uh, wood elf community, I mean, they're still going to defer to you and your seniority and they will solemnly nod whatever piece you have to speak, they're not going to interrupt you or stop you. Well, Pathos then thanks the elders uh, for their respect and for their deference. He sees it in their eyes and he turns towards the, the young elf and sees in her eyes this, this glimmer, this sort of zeal, um, along with some naivete as well. And it gives him the courage to think a thought that he's not thought in a long time, uh, which is, is this someone who could help me? to claim that last page of the grimoire. Uh, is this, this person possess the qualities necessary? And he asks that very important question. He's always been a little too afraid um, and discerning to ask for fear of what the answer would be, but sort of tapping into his memory instantaneously and going back to and get, gathering strength from those memories of, of Zatani had to make similar kinds of questions in the past ages. He finally garners up the courage and he asks and informs uh, Chrisley about this need to acquire this last grimoire and sort of a, avails her of the great tragedy of what happened to his people. And she'll be very sympathetic and, and sad and she'll just be like how awful that was and that's not right and you know and she's like well I mean I do have to go help take Aaron back to university but I, I suppose you, you know kind of like the beginnings of a JRPG or something like that, where it's like, okay, we'll just pick up another party member and we'll, we'll just go on an adventure. And so, yeah, kind of like that naivete riding off that high of that confidence. And she's like, okay, well, I mean, yeah, we've got respite and a relief here and, you know, I can get energized and check in with the elder mothers and basically do get all the benefits of leveling up and all that stuff. Uh, and then she's like, yeah, then we can, yeah, we can go. Yeah. We can go to your temple and, I'm sure there's, she stops to think of the gravity of it. And she's like, there's probably all sorts of unknown flora and fauna that I've not yet seen or that these, uh, that my tribe does not know. And so then I guess begins the montage of Chrisley playing a gracious host. And, uh, you know, she's showing off the camp. And of course, you know, you're able to go through your memory and it's like, you know exactly what she's talking about, but maybe it's just nice to be given a tour of someplace or have someone 
so passionate, full of life, just kind of like sharing information and knowledge with you. And so, you know, she leads you through the tour. She invites you into like her familial home and, you know, with Aerith and everyone is like eating and happy and jolly and making merry and all that good stuff. And then, um, you know, and she's showing off her sketchbook. And so you're seeing all these pages and notes with like Arthur Morgan-esque sort of level sketches like Red Dead Redemption 2, like opening the journal. And so she has notes in Elvish, some in Druid. And, you know, talking about like, oh, this plant's name is Charlie. And, you know, this was a mean plant and like kind of stuff like that. But yeah, and the montage goes on. And before too long, uh, Aaron and Chrisley and Pathos are leaving the woad, making their way uh, to the ruins. Beautiful. And I would say if I could just add one thing to that with your permission, uh, Pathos that night goes into his quarters that they so graciously offered and opens up his grimoire. And with tears running down his face, inscribes the memory of being toured around by Chrisley, as it's the first time that he has been welcomed into a society in such a kind and warm way since the loss of his people. And scene. Wow. <laughs> there we go. That's that's the way you do it. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so what'd you think of the whole random encounter and getting to play that out and exploring oh, Pathos as an actual character? Again, it's been years, years, these years since I've been able to walk through something like that. That was an absolute blast. He, he's a fascinating character. You know, he's a really, really fascinating character, a tragic character in the classical sense. I got a lot of inspiration from the great tragedies of history, Homer and, you know, uh, and Virgil and uh, Herodias and all sort of these thinkers. So I'm happy that he he worked out well. And uh, and Christy sounds like an amazing, sort of like a match made in heaven there, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very I mean, she's, she's been good. Yeah. She, like I said, she's been on that hot streak as of late. So we'll see if any of our other characters get to show back up in a random encounter. But hey, you know, uh, it's fun getting to play Chrisley here on the podcast. So it is. It is. This has been an awesome awesome time getting to talk and, and, and getting to share and, and do all these uh, things together. And so I know we're here in the final thoughts. And so um, I always like to leave this last part uh, for the guests. So that way, you know, if you have any other closing remarks or closing prayers or, you know, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find the various projects that you're working on, books that you're writing, articles that you're tweeting and all these other sorts of things? You know, where can we keep in, in touch with you? So if we want to hear more awesome stories like this, uh, we, yes. we can hear them. <laughs> well, you've inspired me. I think on, on YouTube, I should start a whole channel for uh, the Zotani Nimi people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this has been a blast to, to have with you. So thank you for this wonderful podcast, this wonderful opportunity. We need stuff like this. This is very important. So thank you for that. It's a real gift. Uh, if, yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm constantly doing a bazillion trillion things, which I thank the Lord for. He's been very generous in giving me ministry and work to do. So the best way is through Facebook and Instagram, Father Blake Britton. And you just look me up and you can like and follow my Facebook and Instagram accounts. Uh, and I'm constantly posting things on there, updates for different talks or podcasts. This podcast will be posted on there when the time comes. Uh, and so I'll make sure to share it with all my followers and stuff. And uh, and so that's the best place. And what are things that I offer? So once a month, I offer a question and answer session that's open to through Facebook Live or YouTube Live. We usually get a couple hundred people that tune into that. And, and it's, it's a wonderful conversation where I open it up to 
atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Muslims, Catholics, Protestants, people from the whole spectrum tune in and they ask whatever questions they want about the Catholic faith or anthropology or philosophy. So that's always a fun event. And then also I do something called the book of the month where every month I do a book review and I do a presentation. So those are some of the things that we, that we do on my Facebook page, my Instagram account. So you can follow me through there. Uh, the God and Gaming series with Word on Fire Institute it is outstanding. If you have a chance to tune into that, it's a blast. Please share it. It's a really landmark series. There's never been anything like it. Um, and it's we have some huge names from the video game industry participating. And please, God, uh, uh, there'll be a season two. And then uh, finally, with my book, Reclaiming Vatican II, if you're interested in that, the Burrowshire podcast, that's my personal podcast with Brandon Bott. Uh, so you could follow that as well. And and keep me in your prayers. Keep me in your prayers. So with that being said, let us all pray together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you gratitude for the absolute blast and fun that this was, uh, for allowing us to use our imagination to reflect the creative aspect of our being as your likeness and image, and for all the pleasure that that gave us. We know that you're a good father who loves to make us happy, and so we thank you for letting us have this time to fill our hearts and to make us happy. And please, may it energize us, may it strengthen us to go out into the real world as well and make the same changes that we're inspired to in these imaginative worlds. And we ask this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, SidekicksAndSideQuests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, simply send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, or you've never played Dungeons and Dragons before, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. And finally, after two years, I've decided to open a Patreon for Sidekicks and SideQuests. If you love this podcast and you want to help us grow and expand our operations, I would appreciate it if you would go on over to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Your name on the wall of the levitating platter, a loud hurrah on the podcast, or the possibility to introduce an element of chance to NPC creation. Psychics and Psychos is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four.